The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. I thank God I grew up in a church that did lay a strong foundation in my life. And one of those foundational uh, graces, I would call it, is the whole aspect of repentance. Now we know and we understand 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. That's a one-time repentance. That's when God receives you, He's convicted you, He receives you, you're His. You are forgiven. Your sins, past, present and future are forgiven, right? So you are holy, you are set apart for God. But you're still not holy. You still got problems. You still struggle. We all struggle with things in our minds. We, and, and there's three areas that, that we could struggle with. One is our attitudes. We have attitudes towards people. Sometimes we have an attitude towards our wives. Sometimes we have an attitude towards workers, co-workers at work. Sometimes we have an attitude towards parents. We have attitudes towards life. And those attitudes we have to deal with. We have attitudes towards people of other nationalities and races. Are you with me? So we have problems with our attitudes and sometimes we have problems with our motives. That's one of the big things that missionaries need to be careful of. Is when you meet people that you don't see dollar signs. Often when I go up into Africa, some of the first things the pastors ask me for is money. So then, before we even start a conference, I look at them and I say, My dear brothers, if you are here today looking at me with dollar signs in your eyes, repent or leave the conference right now. And they all look at me. It's like, okay, I've been caught out. Are you with me? I'm not a dollar sign. I'm here to teach the Word of God and nothing else. And then, of course, you have your actions or your transgressions. Or the other two, the, the motives and the attitudes we are talking about are iniquities. Things that I can't see. Things that you might be thinking about me this very moment and saying, well, I don't like this guy, I don't like the way he talks or preachers or whatever, you have an attitude towards me, it's an iniquity, it's something I can't see. Are you with me? But then you have transgressions. That's when I make you mad and you kick me in the shin. Now you have transgressed against me and you need to repent of that. And so there are certain things like fornication and adultery that are just obvious transgressions. They started as iniquities because they started in the heart, right? Anger starts in the heart, in the mind, and can go away into an action, into a transgression. And so we need to be careful, um, and we need to deal with each of these. Hopefully we deal with it while it's still in the heart, because then it doesn't go into action. And so God has given us the means of grace. Now David was a great sinner. God had to sort of sort him out on a number of occasions. 
but he was also a great repenter. And I want to encourage each of us to be great repenters. Now, I did meet some people from a denomination when I worked in a certain country many years ago. They had the wrong idea about repentance. They just said, you know, if we confess our sins, then God forgives us. That's true. But you also need to repent. Because when you confess your sin, according to 1 John uh, uh, 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is righteous and just to forgive us. So when we confess, it means we agree with God that what we have done is wrong. Right? And some people, they know what the Word of God says, but they don't agree with God. So they never really repent in their hearts. But they just do it as liturgy, they just do it as a right in their hearts and their minds so that they can deal with their conscience, they can assuage their conscience and feel good that I've repented, but actually tomorrow they're back doing the same thing. That's not really repentance, is it? And, you know, throughout Scripture there's this encouragement, Mark 11, verse 12, and it says, Whenever you stand praying. So this is Jesus talking to His disciples, and He says, Whenever you stand praying. So when you pray, before you say anything, Jesus says, is there anything you need to repent about? Is there an attitude? Is there a motive? Is there an action? Are there unkind words? Is there bitterness? Is there anger? He says, when you stand praying, and if you have anything against anyone, forgive that person. Are you with me? So it's part of the lifestyle. It's not something that happens once and for all and it's over. I love the analogy that comes from, that I heard from, a, from, a, from an evangelist one day. He says, when you, when you pray and you start confessing your sins, it's not a blanket covering, oh God forgive my sin. No. He, says, he said, when a woman goes to the river with her washing, does she just throw the whole bundle in there, then throw the soap powder on it, then pull the whole bundle out, put it in the thing and hang it up? Is that how she does the washing? No. She goes and she takes one item of clothing and she scrubs it and cleans it and then hangs it up and then the next one until she's done. And so if you have transgressed with your motive or with your attitude or with your action, confess them each and every one and ask God to forgive and to cleanse you. Because it's so easy to say, oh God, forgive my sin. What sin? Is it the sin of anger? Is it the sin of lust? Is it the sin of bitterness? Is it the sin of unforgiveness? Is it the sin of hatred? What sin is it? So easy just to say, forgive me my sin. And you see, sometimes when you sin, you might have to go and say, I'm sorry. 
Because the Holy Spirit will convict you that you've said unkind words towards someone and you need to go and say you're sorry. I taught my daughter growing up. I said, when you do something wrong, I'm going to correct you and my son. If you get angry, I will correct you and you must repent. I said, but if I get angry, then I must repent and you have the freedom to tell me. Do I have the freedom to tell you to repent? To say you're so, tell you to say you're sorry? Are you with me? Because sometimes you need a little bit of help. Hey, you're sinning. Hey, don't speak to your wife like that. I had some workers come the other day and they were two hours late. And so, after half an hour, you're kind of like sort of champing at the bit to say something. After an hour, you're really champing at the bit to say something. After an hour and a half, you're ready for them and you know what you're going to say to them. Are you with me? And by then, the attitude is wrong, the words is wrong, and two hours they walk in the gate and you just let them have it. Bang! So one of my guys said to me, he said, it's a good thing that you did that. I said to him, I said, brother, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing that I did that. I said, because my attitude was wrong, the way I said it was wrong, everything I did was wrong. I said, you ever see me do that again? You tell me straight to my face that I've sinned and I need to repent. He looks at me. You see, we make too much room for sin in our lives and things that would ruin relationships. Are you with me? So afterwards I went and I spoke to the guys that were late and I said, I'm sorry. And then they said, I'm sorry. And now we're all a happy family again. That's the beauty of repentance. Is that it brings us back into relationship with one another. That's why it's a means of grace in our lives and something that we shouldn't, be, shouldn't fear in our lives. So when we blow it, we need to say sorry. And even if they don't say sorry, it sets me free to be what God wants me to be. And so, the lesson today is actually from the book of, uh, from Isaiah, uh, Psalms 51, uh, from the life of David. And he shows us a picture of what it looks like to repent. And it's kind of like amazing because like when I went through this and when I first discovered this and I, and I heard this lesson, it was like, that's how it works in my mind. That's how it works in me. And I want to say that as a Christian, God has given us a perfect picture of when sin is active in our lives, what it should be doing in our lives so that we can repent. Because when there's sin in our lives, God doesn't let go. He wants you to repent. 
Are you with me? You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. But you still need to repent. That's called sanctification. So we have, we are justified. You know what justified is? It means we made right with God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and our accepting God's work in our lives. Amen. We justified. Wonderful. That's grace. Gee, man. I don't think without it I would make heaven. I mean, it's all about, it's all Him. But sanctification is when God begins to work in our lives and to make us more like Christ, right? And He keeps working in our hearts. And David had committed some really bad sin. If you think you're bad, he was bad. He committed a terrible sin with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. Now that's what you call sin. But anything can be sin. Amen. Just taking five cents is sin. I mean, anyway, but... And the thing that we need to be honest about and the exhortations that come from Scripture uh, Colossians 3.13 As the elect of God bear with one another forgive one another we, we live in a world of relationships and there's so many exhortations in scripture for us to bear with one another to forgive one another to love one another Amen and God knows that we have problems with each other but He wants us always to work towards reconciliation. That's why it says in uh, uh, Mark 11 uh, when I said when you stand praying uh, if you have anything against anyone forgive them so that your father can forgive you. Because if you do not forgive, he's not going to forgive you. Ouch! What does that mean? That means God's going to work your case until you forgive. Are you with me? Because He wants you to be in right relationship with one another. That's the most important thing for God. Is that we love one another because by this the people will know. But if you're an angry Christian, if you're a Buddha Christian, what earthly good are you? Not much. Because you can't speak about the love of God. Because you have something in your heart. That contradicts your testimony. Are you with me? Anyway, David says in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So here we have a confession. He's confessing. He's finally fessing up that he has really blown it. Because he's been trying to hide it. Isn't that what we do when we sin? We try and hide it from people. So that they don't think any less of us. I remember I told you once that I was on a counseling school. And everybody told each other what was wrong with us. This guy was a perfectionist and just lived an unbearable life. Another guy was a luster. Another guy was a homosexual. And all kinds of sins came out. And we all were just open with one another. 
It was the greatest thing because we loved one another. We didn't judge one another because we were walking in the light. Amen. 1 John 1, I think from verse 5, If we say that we love God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we practice the truth. Amen. So walking in the light is important for us as God's children. So He says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Adjust against thee, thee only have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. And that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when you judge. So, he was, finally became very aware of the consequences and the power of sin in his life. And there's a little saying that says, sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It will make you pay more than you wanted to pay. Are you with me on that? So when we go down that road and we start allowing things into our lives that we know is wrong, the penalty is sometimes really crazy for us. It really makes life miserable for us. And so it should. Are you with me? And the thing about, uh, about sin is that the devil will constantly be trying to tempt us one way or another. He knows you as a person. He knows your background. He knows where you come from. He knows the things that trouble you. And he will work on those things to make you fall in those areas. Are you with me? He wants to get you. And he wants to make you stumble. So he will tempt you and he will always say you can get away with it. Well, you can't get away with it. Because God won't let you get away with it. Because he wants you to become more like Christ. Amen. And you cannot become more like Christ if you allow sin and stuff in your life that is displeasing to God. Impossible. Because Christ was pure and so we headed in that direction. We justified, we set apart, we made holy because of what Christ has done, but we're still being made holy day by day. And that's a gift of grace. So we need to realize that even though um, David uh, committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, and then the sin was compounded by having Uriah, her husband, murdered. And that's the problem with sin. You start here, but it's always compounded by something else. You start with a little bit of unforgiveness and suddenly there's anger in your heart. And it explodes, not necessarily towards the one that you were angry with, the one that you were unforgiving, but it might take it out on somebody else. You might have anger and bitterness 
from work and then you start taking out your wife at home? You start getting mad at her? What for? But sin is always compounded by something. If you start here, it will lead to something else. And that's what happened with David. He started with adultery and then he had to cover it up. He tried to cover it up by making the husband come home and sleep with his wife, thinking that it would be okay, but God wouldn't let it be okay because Uriah was more honorable than David. And because the men were in the field in battle, he wouldn't go into his wife while the men were away from their wives and their families. So he slept at the door. Honorable man. But not David at that point. And God wanted to deal with it. So no matter how David tried to cover it up, God wouldn't let him. So I want us to know that doesn't matter what you have going in your life, you try and cover it up, God's not going to let you. Because He wants you to deal with it. Because He wants you to grow. Are you with me? Okay, so it's pretty cool of God to do that. Anyway, because He loves you. For all are done out of love to make you grow. Amen. Anyway, so... And it was only after God really confronted David that he penned Psalm 51, the Psalm of the Penitent. And this Psalm expresses the heartfelt need of a believer to be right with God. Now this is like a four hour lecture, I guess. So I'm going to really run through it now because otherwise we'll be here till tomorrow morning. Um, so we need to realize that we have the capability of sinning in our lives. Amen. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of the sinful nature that is still alive and well in us. Okay. So never forget that. Like some people think that they're perfect and so on and so on, but in reality they're not. And 1 John 1 reminds us that if we think we have defeated all sin in our lives, we are deceiving ourselves. It says, um, if we say we do not have sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the Bible says to us, be careful. Are you with me? And often I heard the story of this one guy that says, um, uh, Floyd McClung was telling the story, this guy uh, spoke to Floyd and he said, I've never sinned in my life. So Floyd said to him, have you committed adultery? No. Are you lustful? He said, no. Don't you ever get angry? He said, no. And so Floyd went down the list and kept saying no. So Floyd thought, yo, what am I going to say to this guy? So Floyd eventually got a brainwave and he said to him, I bet you're real proud of that fact, aren't you? He said, yes I am. He said, there you've committed your first sin. <laughs> the sin of Satan. <laughs> you know? Anyway, so don't think that you're perfect. And that's a safe place to be. Because if you think you're perfect, you never want to repent of it. Because then you become like a self-righteous Pharisee. 
They thought they were okay, but they laid heavy burdens on people that the people couldn't keep. And so God's made it easy for us. So, so there are things that happen that knock us down. Sometimes we question the, the character of God because life circumstances are just tough. When a loved one dies or something happens that really hurts us, it's like if we don't deal with it, it can really uh, make it have an impact in our lives. So even though we might be eternally secure and we're going to heaven because our sins are forgiven, past, present and future, doesn't matter. We still have the ability to sin. That's why God has given us the whole thing of sanctification or ongoing uh, repentance in our lives so that we remain in right fellowship with God, right? What happens when you sin? You don't hurt your salvation, you hurt your relationship, your fellowship with God. And sometimes a naughty child, when they know they mustn't do something, and they do it, they walk into the room looking down. And immediately you know, what have you done? Nothing. You know, but they won't look you in the eye. Because they know they've done something wrong. And often when we've done something wrong, it hinders our fellowship and we can't look God in the eye when we go to pray, when we go to read scripture, because we know we have to deal with it. Are you with me? Okay. So, so we remember that we have the capability to sin. So there's consequences to, to sin in the life of a saint. David begins and he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David knew the consequences, that sin had consequences, and they were taking a toll on his life. Man alive. I've, I've tried to remain man. Makes me miserable. You know what I mean? I've tried thinking this person doesn't deserve my attention for any time of day. And I feel miserable. Because sin has consequences on my life. I've tried remaining mad with my wife. I get more and more miserable. Are you with me? It has consequences. And it takes a toll on your life. So, just remember that. So I'm just cutting it short now because there's so much to say. Then, secondly, sin soils the soul. So the first thing that sin does in your life, it soils your soul. So David asked God to wash him because he felt dirty inside. Sin kind of like hinders that purity in your relationship with God. He didn't feel dirty on the outside, but he felt dirty on, his in, on the inside in his soul. So if you're a Christian, sin will make you feel dirty. And I want to say these things, because I want to say that if you don't feel anything when you sin, then you're not saved, man. If you can go to, like it's like in Proverbs uh, I think it's Proverbs 5 or 6, it 
talks about the adulterous woman. When she's finished, she wipes her mouth as if she's had a good meal. Because she's enjoyed her sin. And if we can enjoy our sin without feeling soiled, without feeling that there's some kind of consequence, then there's something wrong with you. Are you with me? Probably that you need to get saved. It's like people living together. It's not cool in front of God. God does not accept these things. But we think it's okay because we love each other. Well, your emotions have nothing to do with the truth of God's Word. Because that's the guiding light. Amen. God's Word is the guiding light. Not your emotions. So sin swells the soul. So it's no use rebuking. Like some people get upset with non-Christians for using the Lord's name in vain. Amen. That guy's a heathen. He's unsaved. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. As soon as that guy gets saved and he uses the Lord's name in vain, there's a prick in his heart and he feels, oh my goodness, this is not right. Are you with me? But you can't tell an unsaved person to behave like a Christian because he can't. It's impossible. He's a sinner. So when you're in the workplace, just realize that there's people out there they don't give a hoot if you're a Christian or not. And they talk like the world. They talk dirty. They talk horrible. And sometimes you want to <laughs> sort of help them. Don't talk like that. <laughs> or you should say, hey, I'm so glad you know the Lord. Tell me about it. <laughs> and they go, what's wrong with you, man? Anyway, so people who are not saved have no difficulty with sin. But when we become Christians, we begin to experience the consequences of sin in our lives after we've given our lives to God. Are you with me? And when I go to work, uh, in Moshati there, somebody's got a whole lot of pigs and there's a few pools of water and often I find the pigs lying in the pools of water, they enjoy it. You know what I mean? But would you go swim in those pools of water? I doubt it. But the pig's totally at home. You know what I mean? And so a Christian is never fully at home when he allows something in his life that is displeasing to God. Amen. Sin saturates the mind. It's, it, it takes up. And David says in verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. So when we allow sin in our lives, you cannot get rid of that thought. It's always there. It's always bothering you. It's always in your mind. If you have a problem with pornography, that's all you're going to think about. If you have a problem with lust or anger or whatever it is, 
That's what you're going to think about. If it's unforgiveness, that's what bothers you most of the time. Are you with me? And for unforgiveness, when it bothers you, you're always waiting for someone to do something wrong. You're waiting for them to blow it. Because you just know they're going to blow it. But if you've forgiven, and forgiveness is an attitude that you live with, you're already forgiven. When somebody blows, it's a great attribute in marriage. When your wife makes you mad in your heart, you're already forgiven. So you don't take the offense and take three days to recover. Are you with me? No problem. Because you're forgiven. It's an attitude in your life. It's a Christ-like attitude. Are you with me? In the very worst situation that you could possibly find yourself, Jesus hanging on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He had already forgiven them before He went to the cross. He just wanted them to know it. Are you with me? Brilliant. So when <laughs> these things are in your life, it saturates your mind. So night and day, the evil thing that David had done echoed in his conscience. He could not get rid of it. It had left a wound in his mind. And the Holy Spirit was there to remind him of his need for forgiveness. And that's the difference between a child of God and, and, uh, and a non-believer. A non-believer can sin and forget about it. Although I don't think you ever fully forget about it. But, but a believer will have sin rattling around in, in the back of your subconscious. And it will hinder your ability to concentrate. Uh, your, it will hinder your ability to pray and often people with unforgiveness or some kind of sin in their lives have an irritability problem in their lives they get irritated very quickly with someone with their wives or with the kids or with somebody are you with me? so it, it kind of like shows up Ah, where am I now? Ah. So the sin is ever before it. So there's two kinds of wounds. Né? One is like guilt and the other is sorrow. Guilt comes from sin. Sorrow comes from your wife passing away or a child passing away, close friend passing away or something tragic happening in your life. I mean, that's natural and you deal with it. Um, but sin is... Uh, more difficult to heal if you won't deal with it. So sin saturates the mind. So it will rattle around in your brain. And then sin stings the conscience. Uh, David writes, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. Psalm 51.4 So David's conscience is stricken. 
He cries out against the sin, knowing that he has done evil before an holy God. Man alive, once we've once we have the Spirit, Holy Spirit, um, it's like I mean, it's like I sometimes try and imagine holiness. You mean I understand the biblical definitions of holiness, but when I understand it according to to me and my nature and the things I struggle with, it's like sometimes hard to comprehend in our minds, you know? And and even though I know I know all about forgiveness and I talk about forgiveness and, I, and all of these things. I still sometimes, um, after I've confessed, even repented, I still feel stricken in my conscience sometimes. You know? Um, but that's just me. But the thing is, like, David knew that, he's, uh, that he had sinned and done evil in God's sight. Um, And when we sin, we don't actually sin just against God. We sin against people that are close to us. We sin against our wives. We sin against our children. We sin against all kinds of uh, different relationships. And ultimately, all of that is again an affront to God. So we need to to walk in the light of having a clear conscience. Paul says in, in the book of Acts that he made it his, um, made it his, uh, his life task to have a clear conscience before God and man. Amen. And that stands for everybody, like my wife and my children and, and everybody. So when I walk into the home, at, in the in the daytime, um, I remember uh, a mission couple that I worked with, and they treated their kids badly. It was like, this is terrible. So we 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 got to work on them. So the one day the woman said to me, "Do I have to repent to my children?" I said, "Oh yes, you do." I said, "Man." You can't treat your children like you treat them. I mean, imagine your daughter coming to me one day and saying, you know, I wish I'd break my leg that my dad would pay attention to me. And I went back to you and I said, you know what your daughter just told me? She'd like to break your leg so you pay attention to me. What have you done in your home? You've neglected your family, man. You've ignored your family. That is terrible. That they would want to do that just to get some love and attention from you. And the sad thing is, many of us come from homes like that, where our parents were just not good parents. They provided clothing, they provided food, they provided a place to stay. They paid for our education, but sure, they didn't love us. But that's how they understood love. Get over it. 
and get on with a new agenda. I am nothing like my dad, who was a great guy according to everyone, except everyone in the family. Are you with me? But I'm nothing like him. Because I determined when I knew Christ that I would not be like him. I would repent of that lifestyle that my father had against me or lived against me. And he hurt me terribly. But you go talk to my kids. Does dad love you? They'll say for sure. Because they tell me. I love my kids. And when I realized I was doing them wrong, I repented. See, there's many areas to repent of in our lives. But sin stings the conscience. So we mustn't be afraid of punishment. We must just be upset that our relationship with God and others are hindered. Are you with me? Mustn't fear God because God is wanting to bring us back into right relationship with Him and others. That's why He continues to, to challenge us and to work in our lives. So there's a difference between a slave and a son. A slave fears the master's whip. And you get some people that are real legalists in their walk with God. It's like, man, if I don't do this, then God's going to get me. God's going to punish me. Man, what a way to live. That's not the way. Gee, man, how can God, this holy God, that even the Jews in the Old Testament wouldn't want to pronounce His name, suddenly come in the New Testament and say, Abba, Father, Daddy. I mean, most of the guys today, if you say Daddy God, like most of the guys that are religious, they cringe. Because <laughs> they think it's weird. They cringe. Oh, cringe, but that's what the word means. Sure, you have to have respect and all of that for God and never forget that. And don't become so familiar with God that when you call Him Daddy that you forget who He is. Because we have a Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Amen. And that's reverence for God. And so on. But he's still a loving Father. Even in the Old Testament he says, Your loving kindness endures forever. God is revealed as a good God. I can't understand why the Israelites were so hard-headed. Anyway, sin stings the conscience. Sin saddens the heart. Psalm 51 continues, says, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. So God didn't go around breaking David's arms saying, come here you naughty boy. What he means is that the pressure of his sin was robbing him of joy. That heaviness was like, yeah, this is too much for me. And I can't experience the joy the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That comes with repentance. Amen. Soon as we repent, our repentance, our joy is restored. And that's wonderful. 
David didn't ask for his salvation to be restored. For sin doesn't cause us to lose our salvation. Instead, he asked for his joy to be restored. And a lot of Pentecostal people have this problem. That they think you can lose your salvation. And they repent a million times. Nothing so aggravating as a whole bunch of church leaders leading a group of people up in the north. And I talk about this and we show the Jesus film at night and here come all these pastors repenting. But guess where I am the next day? <laughs> Talking about your salvation. <laughs> and the beauty of God's salvation. Until some of them get it and they go, it's such a relief. Because I used to believe you could lose your salvation. And it made Christianity a struggle, man. A burden. Anyway, so it saddens the heart. So if you want to know what a backslider looks like, look at his joy. Because it will rob you of your joy. Sin will rob you of your joy. And your cry needs to be, Lord, I repent. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Amen. So when someone's looking miserable all the time, brother, is there sin in your life? Repent. You know? Unless they have clinical depression. That I understand. And we have to be discerning sometimes to know the difference. But if people are miserable, then there's often something in their lives. And then sin can sicken the body. Make me to hear joy and gladness, the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. David, oh, I've said that now, David doesn't literally mean that God broke his bones, but rather he is crushed in his spirit. God doesn't cast us off. He just squeezes tighter to get your attention. And it doesn't feel good when God is squeezing. Are you with me? So, I remember once we were, long ago, we were in America. And uh, uh, we were in, at a, staying at a place near Disney, Disneyland in Florida. And Sean was playing with Jenny's engagement ring. And we said, Sean, leave it. Don't play with it. But Sean being the little boy that he was, he played with it. Now in America the lawns have got grass about this long. And he put it in his pocket and when he came back in and he looked for it, it was gone. We could not find that ring. We had to go buy another one. It was a wedding ring. No? So we had to go buy another one. But when Sean came in, he was sick from his sin. Fear and sin. He was sick. So I looked at him. Jenny looked at him and said, Sean, what did you do? He says, I lost the ring. I said, okay. So I looked at him and said, right boy, he's, the way that he's like looking right now, he's really repentant. You know? He's really crushed by what he did. So he said, Sean, sit here. I said, now you know what it's like for God to forgive us from our sins. We forgive you, Sean. 
Don't worry about it. You know, but next time we tell you not to do something, then listen, because you can see what happens sometimes. And he was so relieved, you know, because he thought he was in for a mile high spanking. But we didn't give it to him. Because we loved him. And, and sometimes the crime is so great that the right response is just love. Are you with me? It's not too to Dengasim and, and Sean has become really consequent and uh, since that day. And then sin, one of the last ones is sin sours the spirit. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David had a wrong spirit and in many backslidden Christians you can see that some of them are really sour. And they're angry and they're bitter and they're uh, cantankerous. And they're really miserable on the inside, so they kind of like comes out on the outside towards people around them. Are you with me? And so on. So they're usually the most critical people in the church is the guys who have a real bitter spirit. And they always have something to say about everyone. And we can see this from David's, exam, uh, David's response when Nathan came to speak to him. So God finally, David was feeling totally miserable, but he wasn't responding to God. So David sent the prophet. So, gee man, if God has to send people into our lives to deal with sin, then you must know that how hard your heart has become. You know? and that you're not responding to the Holy Spirit. And um, so the prophet came to David and told the story of a poor man who had a little lamb that was like his only child, even eating from the table. Next door was a very rich man who had hundreds of sheep and a guest came to visit the rich man. So what did he do? He went and took the lamb of the poor man and he killed it and he fed the, the guest. So Nathan asked David and he says, well, what do you think should happen? And you can see David's rage. He jumps up and he shouts. He must pay fourfold. That's the problem when you have sin in your life. You always want to make people pay. And you're harder on people than you are on yourself. Because of the unforgiveness and the bitterness or whatever it is in your heart that's tinkering around in there. You're always harder on other people. Just like David. And so the Nathan said, you the man. And David knew immediately, bang, bang, he got me. He said, you are the rich man, David. Bathsheba was the lamb that was stolen. And David was angry because his sin had made his spirit sour. So he was quick to judge a small sin in the lives of others because he carried a great sin on his shoulders. Amen.
Sin will mess with your life now, in our lives. I know all about these things. I've tried to do everything. I mean, I've looked for every excuse under the sun. I'm not saying I'm innocent. I need this lecture today as I needed it 20 years ago. Because this is a continual response of my heart is to repent before God. Because I want to maintain that relationship with Him. Because there's nothing better, there's nothing sweeter than your walk with God. And God forbid that it ever become just liturgy. And just daily readings. And there's no like heartfelt response to God. And then the last thing was Sin seals the lips. As you read through Psalm 51, you'll notice how David talks about what his life will be like after he is right with God. When I get right, I'll be a soul winner, David says. When I get right, I'll be a singer. He had sin in his life, so he was unable to sing. So sin stops the singing. So whenever, like, I, I wake up in the morning sometimes and I'm singing. I'm washing the dishes and I'm singing. I walk around town and I'm singing. I walk around the garden and I'm singing. Because I've got a song in my heart. But when there's sin in my life or a bad attitude or something, there's no singing. Because my mind is taken up with something else. I'm not saying that everybody must sing. That's just me. Are you with me? I was traveling with some guys from the States one day. They said, man, you always sing. Oh, okay. I'm sure Rika must hear me over the fence singing. Said, why don't that guy shut up a bit? We need a bit of silence around here. <laughs> so David had confidence in no, wait. So David was saying, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Ah, let me just read there. We've gone further down the psalm. And we nearly finished. Guys, tired you. Time for lunch. Huh? <laughs> Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted to you. So when he talks about sin sealing the lips and there's sin in our lives, we find it difficult to testify to other people. We find it difficult to talk about the things of God. And it, it, it like kills the spontaneity in our lives about about what we should be talking about and often when people won't evangelize or talk to others i bet you there's just the sin of stubbornness that you won't do it and you need to repent because there's lots of opportunity to speak to people if you think about it just speak to them or fear even that can be sin 
because it stops you from doing what is right. You can be fearful to live out your testimony in front of family or certain friends because when you do speak about it, they're just not happy with you. I'd rather have God happy with you than, than those unsaved friends happy with you because their friendship in the long run doesn't mean much. Are you with me? Okay. So, sin seals the lips. Ah, the comeback from sin in the saint. So even though you fall into sin, and we all make mistakes one way or another, let's just hope it's not adultery or, or fornication or something. Those are a little bit more serious. But there's things in our lives that are sort of like a garden variety of temptation that we sometimes fall into. And we just need to come to God. We don't always have to go to someone, but when we do have sin that we struggle with, go find someone to talk to. You know what they say? If you're sitting in a dark room, it's dark, right? Go switch on the light, what happens? The darkness disappears. And sometimes we wrestle with sin because and we struggle to get over it. We can't beat it. But we refuse to talk to someone. Sometimes you just have to talk to someone. And say, man, I'm struggling with a sin. And when you turn on the light, the devil flees. I mean, you've resisted, you've done everything, you've confessed. Nothing's happening. Well, sometimes you need to talk. And go to someone. Like, I'll be your Catholic priest if you need someone to talk to. Come and confess your sins. Because that's what we're told to do. In James, he says, confess your sins to one another. Are you with me? To one another. Not to a priest. But you can go to the pastor. You can go to a priest. But to one another. Amen. Because we're supposed to keep one another accountable. Amen. Because one thing is true. If I go to you and I confess my sins and you tell me, just go say three hours and four hours okay. Okay, you haven't confessed your sin. You've done nothing about your sin. In fact, the Hail Mary has nothing to do with your sin. Are you with me? Nothing. Sin is when you repent and turn away from it. Not go say some little poem or saying, thinking that that's going to get you through it is not so we need to understand what the Bible means so first thing we need to understand that God still loves me have confidence in that that God loves me that's why he's taken me through this process because he loves me I'm special he died for me don't get away from that are you with me Otherwise, why would God have died for you if He didn't want you? He wanted you. He even elected some of you. Huh? <laughs> That's special. He wanted you. You know what I mean? The second thing is, you need that confidence because it's the confidence that will bring you to God. Here I am, Lord, the sinner. 
two sinners went up to pray. The one looked up into heaven and said, God, I'm okay. I'm righteous, I'm good. I tithe, I do all these right, wonderful works. And the other said, God, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. He wouldn't even look into heaven. Come into God's presence humbly, but with confidence. Knowing that He will forgive you. Amen. And so, confess your sin. Because it's clear, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. So He not only forgives us, but He takes away the stain of that sin. Are you with me? That is, that is marvelous. You don't have to sit with that thing again. You start fresh. It's a clean page. Like that. Clean. That's how you start every time. When you've confessed. Clean. Because He's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. So, when you pray, just mean it. Or David says, Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. In verse 7, he asked God to cleanse him, to blot out his sin so that he was gone forever, buried in the grave of God's forget forgetfulness. In one of the Psalms, it says that God cast your sin into the sea and then uh, Corrie Ten Boom said that God put up a sign that says no fishing. And so don't go back and fish for your sins and live a life of condemnation. Well, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So let's keep our relationship going with God by living a life of repentance. And one of, in Psalm 139, and I teach this all the time to all people who will listen and who will not listen. But um, some things you just tell people even if they won't listen. Because one day maybe it will open. But, but David learnt when he wrote Psalm 139, he says at the end in Psalm 20, uh, uh, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God. Ask God to search you. When you pray, search you. And know my heart. You don't always know what's going on in your heart, but he does. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me. Anything that would hinder my relationship and lead me in the way everlasting. Open invitation. God, convict me. Work in my heart. Reveal yourself to me so that there will be no hindrance in my walk with you. Walk with a clear conscience before God and man. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love today. Thank you for this gift of repentance, this real means of grace in our lives. We ask you to continue to minister to us, Lord. You are just awesome. And uh, our Lord, keep working in our lives, Lord. And let us not grow calloused or hard in our hearts, but let us remain tender in our lives towards you so that you will be glorified in us and that we will be more Christ-like. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.